Listen, a fresh trim is like weekly therapy. Like, it is just the best feeling ever. Like, no one can talk to me. I'm busy. Don't, don't even call my phone. Like, as in, fresh trim, car wash. If I get a car wash on the same day, Leah, you don't know my name. I'm sorry. I feel like, yeah, I'm back now. Like, you know, you know, like Eminem, like, guess who's back? Like, that's how I feel like. Like, I am, I'm back now. My presence is, I'm sorry I was gone for so long. I'm here to reclaim the throne again. Like, that's, that's how I feel. After a fresh trim, I feel fresh. <laughs> but then you do come out and you feel like, sort of elevated, you feel like a, a sort of new man and yeah, you just you just find to feel more confident and kind of assure of yourself, which is nice. You're born, you know, your first haircut, that's the occasion, the first haircut. You're going to school, you know, hair, you're getting a haircut. The first day of school, every year, haircut. Um, Christmas holidays, Easter holidays, whatever, haircut. You're christening, haircut. You're getting married, haircut. You're graduating, haircut. Your birthday, haircut. So every occasion, <laughs> It's like the barber's there and I think that these are the things which subconsciously people kind of pick up on and which makes them a lot more comfortable with their barber. Listen, getting your fresh trim is important. However, when it goes wrong, that is serious, boy. This guy had me all boxed up. Like, it was like, it was like Tetris on my, on, like, on my head top. Like, <laughs> it was like Tetris. Like, that's how boxed up he had it. And you never ever realise it when you're in the shop. Literally got home. I'm not even joking. I was just stood there. I was nearly close to tears. Like, <laughs> it looked horrible. Hair is arguably just as important to black men as it is for black women. But the hair journey is different. Black men face many of the same issues black women face when it comes to our hair. Unsolicited touching of the hair being told certain hairstyles look unprofessional. There has also historically been that pressure to conform to a more Eurocentric look, which in black men's cases is usually keeping the hair very short and very neat. When I was researching black men's hair, there aren't actually many spaces where this is talked about other than hair maintenance tips for black men. There are loads of female natural hair influencers but I can't think of any black male YouTubers or content creators that focus on black hair in the UK. And trust me guys, I looked. From what I found from the men that I spoke to, hair really is important to black men. And I was really interested in finding out how hair shapes black men's identities and the things that really matter to them. Things like hair loss, preserving their hairlines and their relationships with their barbers. Hi, my name is Leanne Ali, aka your resident podcast queen, and this is episode 7 of Coiled, Black Men's Relationship with Their Hair. In this episode, I'll be speaking to Dr. Karis Campion about the role of barbershops in the black community. I just slowly realised that the, the barbers are kind of like, yeah, just unpaid counsellors really as well as some of my friends and peers who are exploring new technologies to maintain their hair, such as hair units, PRP, and hair transplants. And then he pulled out this contraption, Leanne, which, no lie, is it looks like an industrial gun with a needle on the end, and he put the blood plasma in. If I'm honest, I really underestimated the extent to which black men go on a journey with their hair. So to start to explore this, I spoke to my friends, Sam, Jason and Tommy, 
who talked to me about their relationships with their hair and how this has evolved over time. Because as I said in the very first episode of this podcast, almost every single black person has gone on a journey with their hair. My relationship with my hair has been like a very, very long roller coaster, very, very up and down. So I've always loved my hair. There's not much of it, but <laughs> I've always loved it. But it was tough. So I'd say, in terms of journey-wise, I'd say I started wanting to care and look after my hair from back in 2013. Before then, it was always just like a level one or level two, you know, like fading and whatever. I was always very like flippant. I didn't really care too much about it as long as I got a haircut. I'd never used products. I used to use shower gel on it. I'd say like throughout my late teens shower and early twenties, shower gel. I was very, I'm, I was very low may. Like as in, it was just the basics. Just make sure it's cut. Make sure you've got your Dax grease to put on top of it, and it's shiny, and that's it. Yeah, there wasn't a routine to it. It was, I think it was a number three on the top, one on the sides, and I would shower, wash it. If it got a bit dry, I put some cream in it, and that was it. Like, there was nothing. <laughs> Wait, cream? On your head top? Yes. No, like, hair cream, obviously, but, like, whatever was in... Not, like, <laughs> not 50-50 ointment or whatever. Um, it was kind of <laughs> whatever. But even then, like, it was really just whatever was in the bathroom, like, whatever I could see on the shelf, I would put that in. Like, it wasn't... I wasn't really consciously making an effort. It was just probably to cream it. Here's some mm. cream. Like, that mm. was the sort of level that we were at. Mm. 2013 was when I started like wanting to grow my hair a little bit. I've learned a lot from then. I felt like back then when I first started, it was more about, oh, what stuff is going to be the best to keep it the most soft and like smelling really good and all that stuff. And I was like putting all these different things in my hair, not really thinking and knowing like, are these actually products like good for my hair? Is it natural? Is it, you know, like, yeah, it smells amazing, but what is it actually doing for my hair? And not just in terms of like just keeping it healthy, but um, in terms of growth and everything and like strengthening and that and everything. I think like, as I progressed in my career, like in my mid twenties, I experienced shock loss, which was a stress induced loss of, of hair. Um, and it grew back and that was fine. And my hair went back to its normal state. But as you get older as a black guy, what you realize is that gradual recession of the hairline, your forehead starts to get a bit bigger, and you're like, oh, it's the barber, he's pushing me back. The barber's pushing me back, so you stop. So there was a point when I was like 26, and I didn't go to the barber's for like four months, because I was like, do you know what? He's pushing my hairline back from, I'm gonna grow it. So I didn't get a haircut between like October 2014 and like May 2015. And it did work, like it came back and it was like my hairline five years before, but then I had to endure that six months, five months with no trim. I thought lockdown was kind of where I was like, actually, let's take this seriously. Go for that style that you're thinking of. Mm. Um, because before I was kind of just like, oh, it sort of looks like how I want it, kind of just leave it like that. Actually, I want to sustain this for a long period of time. Let's treat it, get it looking nice, get it like, yeah, just in a good place so you can start maintaining it yourself better. But I'd say now, I'm very, very like on top of like in terms of the journey and I have my hair and my hair care. Like I started a whole new hair regime. I think at the start of the beginning of this year, like, um, I don't know, like after COVID year last year, I just decided to just change a lot and just start again with a lot of things. And my hair was one of those things. So one of like my really, really good friends, um, 
I call her my hair guru, but she kind of taught me a lot and everything. And I've really, really learned a lot from the past. And now I'm on this new regime, which I've actually noticed a massive, massive difference. And I think it was like in my late 20s when I started to think about like, what can I do to preserve what I have? And then it was during lockdown actually, when I moved back in with my mom and there was just a world of hair products. And I was like, you know what? I'm not getting a trim for however long. I didn't get a trim for like four months for the first time in my life because I wasn't going out. I was do-rubbed, so you know, my mom was doing all sorts. She was like giving me all of these products and I was trying all of this stuff and I was like, oh, deep oil treatments and castor oil. Got sort of short sides and then the top is sort of long twists kind of forming into dreads. When did you start um, locking your hair and why? I kind of was cutting my hair all the time, not really knowing why. It was just kind of what I was expected or just the norm, what I kind of grown up, grown up doing. So I wanted to try something different, try a different style. And that's where, where this kind of came from, of growing it out. And then I just really liked it and, and carried on with it, basically. What do you think your hair says about your personality? Like, if you were to give your hair like characteristics, what, how would you describe it? Yeah, um, <laughs> I guess free, sometimes wild. Um, sounds familiar. <laughs> sounds familiar, probably. <laughs> I think um, expressive as well. I think expressive is, is a different way and unique. I don't really see a lot of people that have exactly the same hair. I think that's quite similar to me. Um, I'm a unique person. It's clear that for black men, hair can be an expression of identity. It's something to take pride in alongside looking after the rest of their bodies and is something they put a lot of time and care into. When we think of black men's hair, we naturally think about barbershops and the cultural significance they have for the black community. But does this relationship with the barbershop hold as strong for the younger generation as it does for the older generation? To find out more, I spoke to Dr. Karis Campion. And I'm a researcher based at the Stephen Lawrence Research Centre at De Montfort University and I'm currently looking at the social and cultural significance of black barbershops and black communities in Britain. From her research so far, these are some of the reasons why she's found that barbershops are important to the black community. The barber is almost like a pillar of the community that they serve in so many ways. You know, the conversations that kind of people have about problems they're having in their lives, you know, work, school, relationships. I just slowly realised that the, the barbers are kind of like, yeah, just unpaid counsellors really. But it was also a space for men, black men, to kind of just be themselves outside of the pressive external gaze that so often fixes them in particular ways, stereotypical ways. And as well, like, these spaces are very sensual spaces, you know, as well, it's places for people to relax. Getting your hair cut is very relaxing. Having clippers like going through your hair is such a relaxing thing. <laughs> it's a nice ex kind of experience. So I think that as well, kind of like seeing them look after each other, like groom each other, you know, hot flannels on the face and just in ways that I guess you don't necessarily see, like in, you know, you wear every day. And can you tell me why the physical space of the barbershop is significant to black men? I think having talked about some of the services that the barber provides, other than a haircut, counsellors and so on, and also I didn't mention the space, how that's used. Lots of people just go in the barbershop just to sit around and talk. It's a space for leisure as well. 
and in the context of like you know austerity and spaces for black communities being decimated these spaces pick up that gap you know unintentionally so you know people like unemployed lonely people you know also just come in the shop just to have that company and have those conversations have that contact so an obvious thing is that you know the lockdowns completely broke those experiences for people because they weren't able to to be there anymore and be in the shops the barber shop as a physical space holds as much significance as the experience of getting a haircut with the rise of gentrification and the closure of other spaces like youth clubs and community centres, really it's an unofficial community space. A space where the door is always open, a space where you go in and you know you'll feel comfortable as you'll be around people that look like you and have similar experiences to you. I feel like this idea that the barbershop is a community space is something that resonates more with the older generation so I asked Dr. Karis how the role and space of the barbershop has evolved over time. Thinking about the spaces that I'm working in, and gentrification and all that, and a lot of the shops have thought about how they can be like a multi-site, multi-business site as well, quite literally to sustain the business, to sustain the space and the, the rent and the cost it takes to run these places. You know, you see now, I don't know if, if you've seen like barbershops that have like nail shops on the other half, like the other half is a nail shop, one half's a barbershop, one half, you know, there's all these different kind of ways that like they're having to kind of make, diversify and make use of the space and like, yeah, they need to be creative and innovative in how they think about their business models. And I think also there needs to be a recognition of the skills and the expertise that barbers have one of the things I'm thinking about doing is when I think about disseminating these findings to get like local councillors to hear some of the stories that have come out of these spaces and how important they are and how they need to have investment and they need to be supported. They're like really important spaces on the street that people don't realise. And in the context of COVID, they're under more threat than ever. Yeah, if they go, it's like so much is lost, you know. I want to keep exploring the idea around the role that the barbershop plays for the younger generation. Here's my friend Sam again. He lives in Coventry and out of all my friends he's known his barber for the longest amount of time and he refuses to go anywhere else. Shout out your barber by the way, who is he? Where can people find him? Shout out to my barber, um, Cedric. Um, I can't remember the name of the shop because it's just <laughs> new shops. <laughs> no, what the hell? What shout out is this? <laughs> He's just changed shops. Like he, where he used to cut my hair before, he's just moved, and I forgot the name of shop. But um, to all of you, any of you lot in Cov, it's the one next to Pizza Go Go on Falcoster Street. Um, <laughs> go him up after Cedric because he is he is the yeah top dog. For someone who has a long-standing relationship with their barber, I wanted to find out from Sam whether going to the barbers is just for a haircut or whether there's a real relationship there with this barber. Describe to me your relationship with your barber. How did you find him, first of all? Um, first of all, me and my barber are like, just this. I know this is a podcast, I know I can see what I'm doing. I've literally got my fingers crossed right now. Like, <laughs> me and my barber are like, just tight. A word out there, never ever cheat on your barber, guys. Never <laughs> ever cheat on your barber, we all know. But um, yeah, so how I met my barber, I've been, first of all, I've been going to him for like 10 years now. 
10? Um, I didn't realise it was that long. Yeah, 10 years. So it was when I moved to uni, like I moved to uni in what, 2011? So before I came to uni, my plan was the bar I actually had in London that I used to go to, long story short, he was supposed to be going on holiday to Jamaica and then just did not come back for years. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, we all kind of we all kind of thought he must have got deported or stuck there. Like, just didn't come back for years. But um, I went to uni without a fresh trim. It was just awful. But it was going on, like, September went, October went, and I was just, like, getting to the point, like, okay, right, I have not had a trim. I need to do something about this. So one of my, like, my boys had told me, like, oh, he's found this barber and he's really, really good and everything. I was like, okay, cool, I'll try him out. Uh, Went to him and honestly, since then, I've never, ever gone to anyone else, like, in Coventry. I've had one or two other people cut my hair in the shop. That was kind of, like, more that the earlier days. Um, Wasn't really vocal about, oh, now I'm waiting for this person. But, no, he's always cut my hair for the past like yeah 10 years now and he's just it's one of them ones that to the point where i don't even need to ask and be like oh like no i want it like this and then like, like he just knows what i want like he just probably just asks the generic questions like is it this is that today or is it that today and he's just like cool like he already knows what to do like i just sit i can literally just sit down and he's just there ready to just you know do the thing whatever whether it's a fresh trim whether it's just a little lineup or shape up or whatever like, yeah, he, he he knows what I want in terms of that and everything. Amazing. So I'd say I have a really, really good relationship with him, but yeah. Do you feel like there's a friendship there as well? Oh, no, definitely. Definitely. There's definitely a friendship there. Like, sometimes like, I'll come like, I'll come there, like, me and him will just be chit-chat. It's not one of them ones where we're just sat there in silence. Like, me and him will just, like, chit-chat and just, like, catch up. You know, like, some of my... I've brought a lot of, like, my friends as well, like, in uni and stuff, like, to him as well. Um, to also get a haircut or even if it's just like some of my friends just chilling there while I'm getting my haircut so you might ask about this person and stuff like that and we'll just catch up really and, and yeah so from speaking to Sam it's clear that there is a real relationship and bond between a black man and his barber but even Sam said himself that he just goes there for a haircut just know I'm going there straight up just to get my haircut and once I've got my haircut I'm in and out like I'm done and some of my other friends share the exact same sentiment. For me, it's just the haircut. Like I don't, I I don't know if I've got the barber where I go for the full experience and you know the banter and stuff. I th- I feel like very much when I was a kid and the barber shops way back when were like that. But now I just go and get my trim and I come out. However, based on what I've heard from Karis, I started to wonder whether the seemingly changing relationship between a black man and his barber is a generational thing. Or is there something that I'm missing here? I had to get a barber's perspective on this, so I spoke to Mark McIver. I am the owner of Slider Cuts. I'm a barber who's been cutting hair for about altogether 22 to 23 years now. And I own a shop in Shoreditch called Slider Cuts, which is on Hackney Road and we have been open now for three years last month. And based on his many years in the field, he knows that going to the barbershop is way more than getting a fresh trim. Yes, my role is definitely more than just providing a haircut. There is therapy, you know, slash counselling, advice. There's um, connecting people. There is being a role model. There is helping out people in a way you can, whether that is from the haircut you give them, 
to the advice you give them, to providing jobs for people, to community outreach um, schemes, which I do from the shop, you know, like um, hiring young boys between the age of 13 and 16, just to mentor them, you know, keep them off the streets, give them a job and so on and so on. So yeah, I'll definitely say that it's a lot more than just cutting hair. Amazing. Can you describe the relationships that you have with your clients? Like what sort of conversations do you have with them? Is there kind of like a bond there with some of them? What's that relationship like? The things which they tell me, the things I've heard over the years, like um, are things which some of these people haven't told their closest people. I mean, we hear things from the great stuff that's happening in people's lives, you know. I'm getting married, you know, I'm qualifying tomorrow. I've just got my job christening and so on and so on you know just the great things which happen in people's lives to the tragic things which happen in people's lives you know to this person passed away around me to maybe that person themselves has passed away you know they're you know they're you know critical as example to you know their partners cheated on them or they've cheated on their partner you know we're breaking up i failed my test i didn't i'm dropping out of uni i've been sacked to other traumatic kind of things which happen in people's lives. So, you know, I hear it all, you know, from the amazing, mm. great stuff to the really tragic, sad stuff. Mm. And why do you think out of all the people in like these people's lives, why do you think it's that relationship between a man and their barber that they can share these things with? I think they share things because of one connection. I think when you're cutting someone's hair and you're that close to someone it's funny because especially i don't think this is like females really have this thing i think they're a lot more open with each other generally and Mm. they're a lot lot more closer even in proximity to each other like if you see females generally talking in a group or one-on-one you wouldn't find it strange in any way that you know they were really close up in each other's faces and even if it wasn't like loud music where they're shouting in each other's ears um but with guys i think typically there is probably always this thing where there's, there's this kind of like separation, there's this kind of like distance, there's this kind of like, um, you're just not that close generally with other guys. So I feel like what happens in the barber chair is this kind of breaks that barrier. This is probably the closest you actually come to someone um, in a typically in life where you know, you're there for mm. 30 to 45 minutes in close proximity talking you know, I think that when you could it, that one breaks down barriers to allow more openness because there's kind of like um, closeness um, to it, you know. Mm. And I think being in a big chair, you know, comfortable chair. And I think also even like the vibrations on someone's head, I think this is just all a relaxing, would you call it, <laughs> environment to create. And I think it just, you know, helps someone to feel comfortable with talking, you know. And as well as just kind of like... um. You see them, especially if they if you've been cutting them for a while. You see them growing up. You know, you see them when they, you know, mm. when they potentially got smacked by their mom in the shop. You know, you saw them crying. <laughs> you, remember, you remember them when they were crying because they didn't want to get a haircut. <laughs> you know, to mm. them going to school for their first day. You know, every big occasion in someone's life, the barber plays a part in it because they get a haircut for it. Yeah, completely, and. So for this episode of the podcast, I've been speaking to a few of my friends about their relationships with their barbers. And quite a few of them have been saying that, you know, going to the barbers is just about a haircut. They just kind of go in and go out. Do you see a changing attitude towards 
the relationship with Barbara with the younger generation, seeing as you've been cutting hair for so long? I don't see a change, to be honest. I see it more as the barber. There might be a change in barbers, but the clients mm. are all the same. Okay. You know, clients are clients. You know, the, the, the environment's still the same. The setup is still the same. So if you're creating that environment, then people will come and respect you and talk to you and all those things there. It's really more so about what kind of environment the barber's creating. Like, example, if you've got headphones in and you just listen to music the whole time that your customer's in the chair, then you're never mm. going to build a relationship with that customer. But if you're attentive and you're open, yeah. then you should naturally create that kind of like bond with your clients. So if anything has changed, I would say it's probably not the customers, it's probably the barbers. Mark makes a really interesting point that hadn't come up in my exploration of this subject up until this point. The environment that you cultivate informs how comfortable people feel about opening up and sharing what's going on in their lives. That bond and trust is still there with many black men and their barbers, but it seems like there is a changing attitude towards the relationships that men have with their barbers. But perhaps this sits more with the barbers rather than the clients. So what happens when you don't have access to a black barber shop? And how does this impact your relationship with your hair as a black man? I've always had a subpar relationship with my hair and I wish I hadn't. This is Sibo, who grew up in Essex. My mum really didn't know, or I didn't really know, what to do with my hair. I've done, I've put gel in it at one stage. I've done, I've added mousse to it in one stage. I've tried to copy, like, my my mate's hair who are, who are all white. Do you know what I mean? And that just doesn't work, it's just not healthy. So I've just always had somewhat unhealthy, like, really locked and tough hair. I used to like having an afro and I miss having I miss having an afro because I've never had a real relationship with a barber. I've just never like enjoyed the barbering experience. I've just don't I don't enjoy going to the barbers. I went to one barber once in Leighton because I really needed a haircut. And you can communicate something to someone and you feel like you've made yourself clear and they still just don't do what you want to do. And so my relationship with barbers just in general has never been I've just not found that I understand why someone says once you find your barber don't go to anyone else because it is like it is it is it is a whole massive trust thing with that person and that is that person is your friend type thing that's what I do is just do like doing it on my own but I do feel like I miss out on like that male like that male bonding side of things another thing to consider which may slightly impact the relationship that men have with their barbers is that there is so much more choice when it comes to men's hair maintenance, especially for those who are trying to preserve the hair that they have. For Sibo, what's interesting about his hair journey is that he actually started balding at the age of 21. He actually decided to try out a male weave. Firstly, describe to me what it looks like when you got that installed and what that process was like. So i done a story on these guys called New Fade. And New Fade are basically a subscription service for male weaves. That's essentially what it is. And so other people do it, but they charge a lot of money for it to you to do it once. This is a subscription service where you maintain it with them over a period of time. This is actually something that I'm not really had heard of or seen before like I've seen it in like America's Next Top Model or something but I didn't know it's actually a thing and I was just fascinated by this whole service 
you grow your hair out a little bit so then they can fade it in with the hair that you have on top. I had like a little boosty fade on top and I really liked it. I was very happy with it. But the whole thing when you know when women get like when women get weaves and they're scratching their head, like <laughs> oh my lord, like the top of my head just was not breathing. And I was patting my head all day. Fam, I'm getting, I've got PTSD. Patting my hand all day. Then I'm using different parts. You're using the nail side. You're doing this and that. Or sometimes you find yourself combing it as a way of scratching it. Mm. And so like, then I stopped going to the gym, right? Because I was like, this thing is sweating. It's starting to smell. Like, do you know what I mean? I remember, I remember like my bed, my bed was starting to smell a little bit. And really? Like, yeah, like because like. Do they stick it on with glue? Basically, yeah. I see. So there's uh, with a weave at least there's parts of your hair that's breathing, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but mm-hmm. so it was like mm. I feel like they're almost there, not there. If it was like a cap, like an itchy cap, that's fine. But it was not an itchy cap. It was like mm. stuck on, and it was it was a lot. Mm. When you when you first got it done, how did you feel when you first saw yourself with that full head of hair? This is the thing because I haven't had black male veiled because it is like it is for men, it is for girls, but there's the mandem who wanna gas you up the most. Do you know what I mean? And like because I haven't hadn't had that in a while, mm. like it was like a nice feeling. But I'm I've already I've concluded that I'm I'm bold. Do you know what I mean? I've I've already accepted it. I've been bold for three four years. It was just a fun nice thing for me it doesn't make me like my hair bold doesn't make me sad it doesn't make me it doesn't upset me in any way shape or form so i just wanted to style it out because i haven't seen my hair in a while like do you know what i mean i've not seen i wanted to see, and it did it just made me look a little bit younger and that was about <laughs> it only thing the only thing I, I, I can't get over the weave that what women go for is just how expensive it is it's like it's like a second mortgage mate do you know what i mean <laughs> You can do um, no, honestly, all those money you do on hair, you can have a you can have a Mercedes on like on on finance. On finance. <laughs> it's a really expensive hobby. That's the thing. I so like even for me, it was like like I feel like I got it for free, but what it would be was ninety pounds a month. Thinking about spending ninety pounds a month on the mate, and it makes sense, right? This it's artificial because you get it. You basically get like two a month because you get like you get your. You take it out, wash it out, and you get a new one, and you get the mm. reshaped and all that stuff. And so that's how they make their money. It's like a maintenance thing, right? And I just thought, like, who who am I doing this for, bro? Do you know what I mean? And I don't. I've already accepted my boldness. Now I don't know if you guys have actually seen what one of these hair units looks like for men, but the transformation is insane. I mean. Go online, look up New Fade and the work that they do. And honestly, you cannot tell the difference. Like, it's truly amazing all the things that you can do with the new technologies that are out there for men. But like Sibo said, if you do opt for a hair unit, they literally stick it onto your head. So you'll be patting your weave till Die Kingdom come. Now, subscription services for male hair units are actually a thing. But this is just the tip of the iceberg. I spoke to my friend Jason, who is also exploring this new wave of hair maintenance technology. When I spoke to him, one thing that kept coming up was preserving the hairline. You've got to maintain the hairline. And I was like, okay, yeah, but why is this so important to you? I think with with a strong hairline, it conveys youth. 
Um, and also what I realized is I didn't really care so much about it, but I think with Instagram and the prevalence of like male grooming, it's also heightened how women look at men's hair as well. So one of the jokes is, oh my God, look at that hairline. And it's not just in the African and Caribbean community now. You've got like white girls saying, not with that hairline. You've got Asian girls talking about Asian guys' hairlines and everyone wants that crisp hairline. And also what you've seen is a trend in barbering, whereas my generation, you know, I'm early 30s. So like in my generation, as long as you had a crisp cut, you look good. Do you know what I mean? Whereas now it's all about HD barbering. And I only learned about HD, HD barbering like two years ago and that's because of Instagram so it's something that a lot of male celebrities did for a while which is like spraying in the hairline to get it perfect um you know like adding adding like adding like black stuff to make it all super crisp and look great online and that's something that you see like a lot of celebrity a lot of male celebrities and other people doing and there's a whole barber there's a barber called HD Barbers he does the cleanest haircuts and he adds products to make it look like 3d almost like your ha your haircut is so sharp unless it rains um <laughs> what happens when it rains <laughs> well i guess the spray leaks uh, you know i don't know but just like a fake tan just you know what i mean down. rudy giuliani but the thing is with um with these guys is i think everything nowadays is all about how it looks online so you know like it looks perfect in pictures for that event that you're going to that night it's not like something that's going to last the two weeks but you know that's one thing but for me it was about the fact that one it conveys youth one it just looks sharper and i'm like why not use what you already have and i think for me when i started to look into alternatives i was like okay you know like i never really cared about skin even like before i, I just took for granted like skin so i never use i use shower gel i would use like you know l'oreal for men stuff and now i'm like oh okay i need to preserve my skin so why not do the same with my hair um and yeah i think like why not i i always say like prevention is better than cure so a lot of guys wait until they're bold or they've got the cul-de-sac m head and then they're like what can i do about it what can i do to reverse it but if you preserve what you have then you're in a better place and you'll you'll keep it for longer and one of the ways men can preserve their hairline is through a process called PRP. And Jason is actually going through this process himself at the moment. So PRP is platelet-rich plasma therapy. Um, and what that does is they extrapolate your own blood from your body. It's almost like going for a blood test. So they take a vial and then what they do is they put that into a machine and spin the actual blood out and extract just the plasma. So the plasma almost looks like a yellow a yellow substance where they extract all of that. So they put it into the machine, spin it out, and then they inject it back into your scalp. So I actually, I, I stumbled across it when I, was, when I was reading around like alternatives and holistic things, because a lot of the problem is with guys who, when guys start to lose their hair, there are pro products on the market, but they can affect your fertility, they can affect your libido. So I was like, what is the most natural thing I can do? It's quite expensive, so I had to wait until I had the right disposable income to do it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's your own blood plasma, which they inject back into your head. And what that does is it stimulates, um, it stimulates growth in the areas. What people don't realize is like hair loss is, is, a lot of it is to do with basically like lack of blood flow to the head. So it stimulates that. And what they say is it's like a, it's an ongoing thing. So you do an initial course of, you know, one a month or something for about 
four or five months, then after that you're just topping up. But what it does is it staves off the need for a hair um, for a hair transplant. Like for me, my dad's bald, so I have an idea that he I would probably lose hair at some point. Similarly, they say it comes from your mother's side and you know, I've got hair loss in my mom's side of the family as well. For me, it was a preventative measure. I Googled it, I read around it and then I saw like, this is gonna sound really weird, but I saw like one of the Kardashians had it, she had a bald spot and she had that. And I was like, this is, this is nonsense. Like, what is this? And then I read around it and I saw like a few other like black male celebrities that had it done in the UK. Um, and they just said that it helped them not have to get a hair transplant in the future. Um, so yeah, it was all about preservation. I think it's one of those things that if you've already lost your hair, it's not going to do much. But if you've got a full head of hair, you just want to, you just want to enhance it. You just want to get that boxy hairline. Like they're realistic as well. I think a lot of the clinics. So, you know, they said to me like, oh, you know, like what is, what is fully gone? So like, there are some parts of my hair, like my hair used to be like, my hairline used to be near my eyebrows. Like it was very round back in the day when I was a kid. But they were like, there's some bits that just aren't gonna come back, but like what, where you can see hair, it, you know, it's gonna restore, it's gonna preserve that and make it thicker and more lustrous. This is absolutely wild to me. I've literally never heard anything like it. Like this is insane. Do you never. know what it is? Welcome to, welcome to Hollywood. You know I mean? <laughs> this is like definitely, this is definitely some, some entertainment industry stuff. So talk to me about when you went for your very first treatment. Talk me through what actually happened. What do they do to you? What do they do to me? Um, so they, they basically, you go in and they give you the, they tell you what it is. They explain exactly what it is and what it's there to do. Um, they take you through exactly how the process will work. They take you through how many sessions you'll need. And I said to him, like, you know, I've experienced shock loss before and I work in a quite a high stress industry. So what I want to do is prevent that ever happening. And I was like, what can I do to make what I have really strong and ensure that if I ever do experience shock loss, it won't be as dramatic as I, you know, as I saw it like six years ago. Um, so then he took me through what was going to happen. He, you know, that he took me in, into the medical room. He just told me what was going to happen. So he took a vial of blood. It was really reassuring. He just like made sure that I didn't have, you know, fill out the medical questionnaire, make sure I didn't have any allergies or anything that would cause adverse effect. Um, and then he, we, we just had general conversation while he put the, the blood in a machine, <laughs> span it out. Um, and you know, I'm not a creep, I'm not like, I'm not like a person who's easily creeped out. So I was like watching the whole thing and I'm, you know, quite, quite attuned like med medically. So I'm always like, what's happening now? And I'm always asking 10 questions. And then he pulled out this contraption, Leanne, which no lie, I think I showed it to you, is it looks like an industrial gun with a needle on the end. And he put the blood plasma in and then he was like, it's gonna sting, and I was like, is it gonna hurt? Because I read a GQ article by again someone who had like a full head of hair, and he just said it's like a hundred jabs to your scalp. A hundred, a hundred, a hundred jabs? Yeah, like literally he goes around your whole head. Because he was, I was just like, I just need it at the front, and he was like, why not do it all over to preserve everything? So like, literally, they, it's about three vials of this blood plasma and then he goes round your head and literally some areas you can imagine like in your scalp a needle going in is really really sensitive and around your hairline 
it's really, really, really sensitive around the hairline as well. So like you literally feel every single jab. Some people use um, like numbing cream and he didn't, He's, he said they opt not to. Um, so yeah, you just sit there and he was like, you're taking this like a trooper. He was like, you're not even flinching. And you literally feel every jab, you can feel it, but you know when you have to firm it? I was like, you're not gonna catch me lacking in here. I'm just gonna be so strong about it. And I just went through it. I just, I sat there, I was like, yeah. Even when I felt like tears burning my eye, I was like, you're not gonna catch me. I'm not gonna flinch. So we did that. And then um, he took me through like, what the process would be like over the next few months. He did warn me that, you know, you might see some shock loss. So prepare yourself. And I was like, listen, my, my fade is crispy. My hair's good. Like, do you know what I mean? I was like, I'm not going to experience any shock loss. Like, my, my hair's not weak. Yeah. I went to the barbers. My barber was like, what's happened? Your hair's looking like thinner. I was like, huh? And then I noticed in the shower, like, when I would wash my hair, like I wash it like once a week, a couple of times a week, that I saw like a lot of hair shedding in the shower, like something I hadn't really experienced for a long time. And I was like, oh my God, like what have I done to my hair? And then, you know, like the next time I went, it was, it was fine. I just like oiled it and did all my normal stuff. Um, and then I went and had the second one and that's where I'm at the moment. And what I've noticed is when I went to the barbers after this one, he was like, wow, your hair's looking thick. Like it's grown, it's, it's, I think the texture was a bit more like soft as well. Um, so, you know, like it's working, but I think they tell you that it will work ideally after three to four sessions. So I've got like my third one next, next week. Oh, brilliant. Oh, so would you recommend it? Well, I think it's too early to recommend it for sure. Um, and I think it's quite hard when you like have hair, like, you know what I mean? I don't have sparse hair, so it is quite hard to say like for me to see the difference but i guess for my barber to see the difference you know he can see it but i'm you know i'm waiting leanne i'm waiting for my hairline to look like yours is it yeah so in a in a few weeks when i see that elite hairline or that you know then i'll be like oh if you see me with an afro in january you know why <laughs> it's all that blood stimulation guys i'm a super squeamish person so listening to jason describe a load of needles like whole needles being stabbed into your head. I said, boy, <laughs> people say beauty is pain in regards to women, but guys really be going through it too, you know? Jason made an interesting point around preventative measures for hair loss, whereas the hair units and hair transplants are more for people who have already experienced this hair loss. I had heard about hair transplants and men going to Turkey to get this done. But to be really honest, I kind of thought this was more of a white people thing. Like I didn't realize black men were going through this process too. So to find out more about this, I spoke to Nana, who was getting ready to fly to Turkey to get a hair transplant. My hairline and my hair's thinning in the middle of it, but mostly my hairline. But if it's thinning, it's only going to get worse. So they need to sort that out also. <laughs> so yeah. My hair, it was my hairline mostly, but yeah, since I started thinning the middle, that whole side needs to get sorted out, man. This is why he decided to get one. I just feel like I'm young. I'm losing my hair in my late 20s, and I just feel like I'm too young to be losing my hair. And the opportunity arose and I took it. I just thought, why not? It depends on where you go, but I'm going Turkey, and Turkey's 13.50, and you pay a deposit when you book up and you just have to pay in total or you can set up a payment plan 
but you can pay in, you just have to pay in total before you take off on the day I just know that they take some hair from the back of your head and then put it in places where it's thinning or balding and implant it in these areas that's as far as I do know According to the NHS, there are two types of hair transplant treatments that you can get. There's follicular unit transplantation, which is also known as FUT, or the strip method, where a thin strip of skin with hair is removed from the back of your head and divided into hair grafts. These hair grafts are then placed into tiny cuts made in the scalp, and then they close where the hairs are taken with stitches. There's also follicular unit extraction, or FUE, and in this process, the back of the head is shaved and individual hairs are removed. These hairs are then placed into the tiny cuts made in the scalp, which will then leave lots of tiny little scars and the newly planted hair is left to grow. If you've seen photos of this, it leaves loads of tiny little red dots, which are the scars. And yeah, I'm not gonna lie, look at the photos, it does make me shudder a little bit. <laughs> So even though black men's hair isn't spoken about as much as black women's hair, we know that hair is equally as important to black men. But how has losing your hair impacted how you feel about yourself? It definitely is a um, confidence decreaser because just like who wants to be balding? Like you know what I'm saying? You want to be gut when you're cutting your hair. You're just seeing <laughs> when he's cutting in places that used to be there. When he's lining you up, like he's lining you up, and <laughs> he's getting fake hairlines and things like that. Nah. It's just not right. Um, yeah, so it is a confidence decreaser. Yeah, I, I can't really explain as to how it's a confidence decreaser, but it really does affect you in ways. Like, you just don't want to be out. You want to go certain places. You want to put a hat on. And to be honest, like, before I started losing my hair, like, I hardly used to wear hats. Most men like to take care of themselves. And no one wants to, well, me personally, I don't like looking in the mirror and seeing myself bald. It? it just, I don't, it don't remind me of the person I used to be. So I just don't like that. And is this conversation around hair loss and getting a transplant something that you speak about openly with your friends? For speak, speaking for people that I know around me, I know someone personally that's gone and got it done and me and him, we spoke about, I spoke about it openly in front of, around everyone we know. It's not, to me, it's not a big deal. And I'm like, you can see that I'm going bald. So like, yeah, I'm telling you, I'm going turkey. I'm going to get my something, I'm going to get it done. So yeah, it's open. I'm very open about it. I'm nothing to hide. And what are you hoping to get out of this whole experience? No, I'm just going to me 2.0. New and improved. I ain't trying to be like no one else. I'm just new and improved me. I'd be lying if I said it wasn't to impress the other sex because what men mostly do is not for just themselves. It's to impress the other sex. Well, obviously, if you're straight or... Do you get what I mean? So I'm not doing it just to impress girls and and whatnot, but... Your, conf your confidence is radiant, so uh, the other six will see that you're a confident man and it kind of goes in tandem, but no, I'm not necessarily doing it for, for the other six. I'm not doing it for women, no. But it, yeah, it kind of just works that way. I don't know, I feel like my hair, my hair is something that I feel quite connected to. And I think it's also way more acceptable for a man to also like love themselves in different ways. I love the fact that my job consists of one of the main things I love to do in life, which is just talk and commune with people. This is more to the men. I feel like women are already on this, but this is more to the men. Don't feel afraid or shy about, you know, wanting to care for your hair. Like, it is just as important as the rest of you that you do care about. Um, ask those questions. 
like there are, I have seen so many YouTube videos and like content that's out there that yeah might be addressed to more women but there are also stuff out there for men too um ask your friends ask your sisters your mum whoever like aunties whoever you know like or even some of your male friends who also do already like care for their hair like it is important um let's not neglect it if us men can care about i don't know the love that we have for cars for example or love that we have for, you know, our clothes and, like, our friends and, like, you know, the drip and all that stuff. Do you mean, like, do you know what I mean? And stuff like that. Why not put that love and effort in into something that grows out of you, you know? A lot of men are on their beard um, hair care as well at the moment. Like, you know, keeping the beards, like, you know, well moisturised and well kept and stuff like that. Why not have the same love for your hair on top of your head? Like, you know, that's, like, the one of the first things that people see. I was going to do a really profound summary, but I think Sam rounded off this episode so perfectly. (laughs) I really enjoyed learning about some of the different technologies that are out there for men's hair maintenance and understanding not only the significance of the barber, but the physical space of a barbershop for black communities. And now I really understand why a man's hairline is important, why the hair on his head has such a connection to their identity and who they are. I have to say, if you're thinking of undertaking a medical procedure like PRP or a hair transplant, please make sure you consult a medical professional and do your own research. I love that we're embracing these new technologies and techniques for men that probably weren't as widely accepted, say, 10, 20 years ago. And in the next episode, I'll be looking forward to what Afro hair looks like and means for the next generation. We are going to dominate. We're going to smash this. And like the world is going to change and it's going to be run by black women. And the world will be a better place when that happens. Thank you for listening to Coiled. Coiled is hosted and produced by me, Leanne Alley. The assistant producer is Sylvie Carlos. The theme music and closing music was composed by Oni Iroha. If you do anything after listening to this episode, share it with a younger sibling, cousin, friend or anyone that you think needs to hear this so that we can empower the next generation to embrace and love their Afro hair because all hair is good hair make sure you listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review you can also follow us on instagram at coiled podcast so you never miss an episode you can also use the hashtag coiled podcast on twitter to let us know your thoughts on the episode what have you learned what's really surprised you and we can keep the conversation going i'll see you next time <laughs>